scientists have discovered that our universe is in fact expanding at, I don't know, some sort of mathematical rate that I am too dumb to understand. Now, I'm not sure how rapidly it's expanding, how sizably it's expanding, but I do know that because the universe is expanding, we will be finding more and more planets sprinkled throughout it. Some habitable, some inhabitable, but I do know this. There is not one planet in the ever-expanding universe where the Brooklyn Nets trading Kyrie Irving is a legitimate thing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to introduce myself. As always, I'm Zach. This is the Hedging Screens podcast, and I'm thanking you in advance for coming and hanging out with me today. I didn't get the opportunity to speak about what went down last week with Nick Wright and Kyrie Irving because it occurred on, I don't even remember when the fuck it occurred, September 15th. This was like, I don't know, a day or two after I do my typical recording. Now, what sent all of this off was a tweet from Nick Wright. Now, I'm sure many of you know, Nick Wright is a basketball commentator for Fox Sports. He hosts his own TV show. I think it's uh, the name is First Things First. I have nothing bad to say about Nick Wright as a person. He's most famous for being probably the most insufferable LeBron supporter in the mainstream media, and he is, like, without a doubt, the clear antithesis to Skip Bayless, who is his um, one of his colleagues who hosts his own show on FS1. But at any rate, Nick takes to Twitter and tweets this. Some NBA news. There are a handful of Kyrie trades that potentially make sense for the Nets. Kyrie's agents have made it known that Kyrie would simply retire from the NBA if Brooklyn were to trade him. Now, Kyrie Irving comes and chimes in. He has been more active on Twitter as of late, something that is always a joy to see. I don't know about you guys, but I love when an athlete gets online and just starts clapping back at anybody and everybody. Kevin Durant, of course, I think really popularized it after the fallout from figuring out that he had burner accounts. Now he just stays on his main account and just talks. He he talks shit to everyone. There's no one who cannot get these Twitter hands. Now Kyrie replies, calling Nick Wright a puppet. And then to which Nick Wright Replies to this, Kyrie, if you're saying you didn't say you'd retire if you were traded, then your beef is with your representation, not with me, because you and I both know that's what they've told people. And again, Kyrie replies, the puppet doesn't know he's a puppet with a gif of uh, someone saying, listen to your master. I'm sure this is from some piece of popular culture that I have not consumed just because I'm, I'm, I just don't consume popular culture. So this made in... This made its rounds, dude. This was like a fucking California wildfire for NBA Twitter, just for the NBA news cycle as a whole. Everybody was chiming in on this topic. And I didn't really get the, I didn't really speak about it that much because I wanted to save all my thoughts for the show, for this, because I'm pretty sure this is going to turn into the YouTube video for this coming week. Um, I just want to come out and say it. There is no shot that the Brooklyn Nets trade Kyrie Irving for anyone who is not named Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. I don't care how many people or how many people think that there are players in the league that fit the Brooklyn Nets better. Somebody like Ben Simmons, who I'm sure Nick Wright was referring to in this instance, on paper, Ben Simmons does fit on the Brooklyn Nets. He gives you a fucking defensive presence that you don't have otherwise. He's still an incredible 
playmaker, someone who can play big. You really don't have anyone on the roster that can play big. But what is Ben Simmons not? Ben Simmons is not one of the most electrifying scorers and one of the most unguardable players the NBA has ever seen. That is a dynamic in this offense that you are not able to replicate outside of a certain group of players. The Nets, of course, have two of those, have three of those guys. You have Kyrie, you have KD, you have James Harden. I'm also thinking about, again, Curry, Dame, LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis. I'll even throw someone like Devin Booker in there. And I'm sure there are a couple other guys that I'm not remembering at this point, but it's because I'm trying to keep it on Kyrie. Now, there was nobody, no actual NBA newsbreaker who reported anything like this. And there aren't really that many prominent newsbreakers. Like there's Woj, there's Shams, there's Mark Stein, there's um, Ramona Shelburne, uh, Chris Haynes is another one. But really, and I left the fucking window open again, that's the second week in a row. Okay. So outside of those guys, or those guys and gals, I should say, there aren't many people whom we consider like hardcore NBA journalists, at least on the national scale. Very few of those guys. Chances are, if you're watching someone who's the host of a television program on ESPN, on Fox Sports, they have transitioned out of that journalism role. And they, much like myself, are now a media personality. They are a commentator, which means that they are more opinion-based. Of course, these folks say that they do have sources However, those sources don't seem to be the same sources that Woj has, that Shams has. Now, don't get me wrong. These guys do make appearances on TV programs, on podcasts. They host uh, free agency specials. Of course, I think uh, Zach Lowe and Woj did a free agency special um, a couple months ago. So they do make appearances on TV, but that is not their brand. Their brand is as newsbreakers. Nick Wright is very similar to myself in the sense that he has his opinions about certain things and he professes them. The only difference is that he gets dressed up all nice and has a significantly larger audience than I do. But I don't consider myself an NBA journalist. I am the farthest thing from a journalist. I'm simply a guy who (laughs) talks about what he sees and gives his opinion on what he sees. And I'm not really going to talk about like the agendas that certain people have because at the end of the day, it is entertainment. Like Skip Bayless ragging on LeBron and finding a way to turn every story into an anti-LeBron story is his shtick. It's entertainment. Same thing with Nick Wright, although Nick Wright does have a lot more uh, coherent takes than Skip Bayless does at this point. But this was, seriously, this was a non-news story. Nobody reported it. No one else substantiated this claim. Now, I don't even know if this is like an actual claim or anything, or if maybe Kyrie and his rep or and his reps are just out there trying to stir the pot because ultimately controlling the narrative is it is everything in sports, which is generally why when you see a narrative either for a player or against a player, you can kind of tell who is the one perpetuating it. Is the source within the organization? Like if this if the 76ers are trying to paint Ben Simmons as the bad guy in their <laughs> in their ongoing uh, deteriorating relationship. If it is mostly slanderous, you can guess that that source is within the 76ers organization. Same thing if Ben Simmons's camp is reaching out to their reporters and you know shining light on some of the bad things that the Sixers have done, some of the mistreatment that they have um, 
shown towards Ben Simmons, you can tell that one of them is trying to control the narrative. And generally, the sooner that comes out, the so- or the quicker that person or that group is trying to control the narrative. But in this instance, there is no narrative to control. Like, it's just, it's so, it, it's such a non-story, but it just, it came out of the blue. And it's even weirder because Kyrie wasn't really in the news before this. I know there were talks and there are ongoing talks between the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden and Kyrie trying to come to terms on extensions. Apparently, from what's been reported today, Sean Marks has had very positive conversations with both of those guys. And all signs point to them being locked up or locked into long-term deals before the season starts in October or maybe even before the first uh, preseason game or the first exhibition game, which the Nets and Lakers will take part in on October 3rd. I believe that's been the only news. And even then, no one has really been talking about it. Woj has not really been talking about it. Shams has not been talking about it. Mark Stein released something on his Substack earlier today, which was Tuesday, detailing the positive conversation. Same thing with Ian Begley, who I believe is also for ESPN. He's perpetuating that claim as well. But it's because Sean Marks was having a press conference and there were media people in attendance. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to talk about Kyrie Irving in this regard. Like, it doesn't matter if he were to retire if the Brooklyn Nets trade him because there is no inkling that the Brooklyn Nets are looking to trade anybody on this roster. You don't go out and beef up the team how they did in free agency, bringing in Paul Millsap, bringing in Patty Mills as someone to, oh, I don't know, back up Kyrie Irving at the point guard position. You don't bring in DeAndre Bembry. You don't trade DeAndre Jordan to avoid the luxury tax so you can give these guys extra funds or or have the funds to sign these extra guys. You don't re-sign Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin, who were instrumental into what you did last season if your only or if your goal is to trade Kyrie Irving, who Isaiah Thomas, um the former player Isaiah Thomas, not the uh, younger Isaiah Thomas said is the most important person to the Brooklyn Nets' success this upcoming season. He said straight up, the Nets don't win the championship if Kyrie isn't there. Now, I think he's talking more so in terms of his health because health was a big thing for Kyrie Irving in the postseason. And you guys know I hate talking about this, but what happened with him and Giannis was unfortunate, but sometimes you just get unlucky in the NBA, especially um, in the postseason. But if Kyrie's healthy, it's an entirely different Eastern Conference semifinals, an entirely different Eastern Conference finals, and I think an entirely different NBA finals as well. So I think that's what Isaiah Thomas is alluding to because, again, what sense would it make for the Brooklyn Nets to even entertain trading Kyrie Irving? And I'm sure if there were an inkling in that organization, it would have been plastered on literally every publication across the nation. It would have been the talk of every sports radio show, every show on TV, there there would be nonstop coverage of the alleged quote-unquote trade rumors between Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. So again, ultimately, like this was a non-story, and I just think it was very um it was very strange to see this just pop up on my timeline because there was all this hubbub. Like it's very weird to me when I log onto Twitter and I see people in a tizzy about something that I had no idea happened because most of the time that'll happen when I get notifications from Woj 
from Shams and then you go onto Twitter and you see everyone's talking about it, which is generally how the discourse goes. But I just opened my phone one day and I just see everyone on Nets Twitter quote tweeting Nick Wright and they're retweeting Kyrie Irving's responses onto my timeline. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? How did we get here? Like this, it, I can't, I, I can't understand how the fuck this happened. It was just, it was very strange. Um, I don't think that there is ever going to be anything more to this story. Like I would have loved, and I also I, did Nick Wright expand on this on his show or maybe a little bit later on, on his Twitter feed. He might've, but I would have loved to see him mention some names like in this threat, like who do you think would fit better for Kyrie Irving? Because if I'm, I mean, I am, or at least I cosplay as an NBA commentator. If I'm making a point about something, I always try my hardest to back it up with, you know, evidence. Even if it's considered a bad take or considered the wrong take, I at least want to have some substance there. So that way people are critiquing me on the merit of my work instead of just the philosophical idea of it because this isn't like criticizing an article on Bleacher Report where they have, you know, the Warriors trading Andrew Wiggins for fucking Kyrie Irving or the Sixers trading Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving. This is just the philosophical idea of Kyrie Irving being traded. And if he were to get traded, he would retire. And um, the weirdest thing is that like Nick Wright later goes on, as I already mentioned, he's like, your beef is with your representation, not with me. I mean, granted, I don't have sources. I don't know journalism 101, but I feel if I were to ever get a suspect scoop on something that I felt wasn't worthy of mentioning, I wouldn't mention it. Like, who cares? Who cares if someone from Kyrie's team reaches out and he's like, oh, by the way, if Kyrie Irving was traded, he'd retire. Like, who gives a shit? Who fucking cares? Who... who who cares about this? Like, I get people on the internet caring about it because it's fucking dumb to bring up. But IRL, if you get a text and the source is like, hey, and he just says some fucking bullshit like this, you don't have to perpetuate that news. It's not like there was a serious development on the Ben Simmons front or, you know, the Rockets trading Eric Gordon or something with John Wall and his buyout like we talked about last week. It was just merely... It was just a statement like anyone could have fucking drafted this statement. It's like, oh, you have the next trade Kyrie Irving. He's retiring. I mean, you could take it and be like, oh, well, that means, you know, Kyrie wants to spend the rest of his career in Brooklyn. And I mean, I think the most damaging part of it is that there was always that in that understanding that basketball was always second to Kyrie Irving, which I don't understand how people came to that conclusion, because just because Kyrie doesn't enjoy participating in the extracurriculars that come with being a professional athlete of which there are a lot mostly media media sessions i fucking i totally understand why athletes abhor talking to the media like and during halftime or at the end of a game like it's just tiresome like there really isn't any space to have an actual conversation about something it's always like oh this team played better than you how did that happen the athlete is always like they executed and we didn't it's like oh fucking lebron james um, tripped over his shoelaces and then stumbled into 13 guys on the bench, but then got up and made a three that won the game. It's like, how'd that happen? It's always just like, it was a good shot. Like, there's really, there really isn't anything to it. Like, Kyrie and many guys, Kevin Durant, 
is one. I'm sure LeBron is apathetic towards the media sometimes, at least outside of like, you know, sit down interviews, one-on-one interviews, stuff like that. But it's just a very tedious, it's very tedious and I can see how annoying it is and how you're contractually obligated to do it. And then it's like, oh, you know, he doesn't show up to these team-sponsored events or some shit like that. It's like, who cares? Again, ultimately, who cares? Like, it doesn't make sense to criticize what Kyrie Irving does off the court, especially because so many people are like, oh, just does the athlete about what they do on the court. Like, this dude averaged 27 points a game last year. He had a 50-40-90 season. If basketball isn't his primary focus and he's putting up numbers that are better than 98% of the league, the, the other 29 teams in the NBA have to hope and pray that at no point does Kyrie make basketball his sole focus. Because if that's the case, it would be a Category 6 hurricane that just rips through the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets would win 75 games and it would just be a wrap. Like, it, it's, it was just so, it was such a fucking weird story. I don't understand how we got here. And that was, unfortunately, really the biggest story from uh, last week because, as I mentioned in the cold open from last week, it was just, there's really nothing happening right now. I mean, Ben Simmons is still the biggest story. I mean, he's been, I don't want to say he's the biggest story right now because that Kyrie shit was, um, it was pretty, it, that was the first time in a couple of weeks that Ben Simmons was not the sole focus of the NBA news cycle. But of course, here we are again, talking about Ben Simmons, talking about the Philadelphia 76ers. I think this was one of the first times that Woj has chimed in on the Ben Simmons saga and He's kind of late to the party, I feel like. He tweets a couple hours ago on Tuesday morning. ESPN sources, 76ers all-star Ben Simmons will not report for opening of training camp next week and intends to never play another game for the franchise. Simmons hasn't spoken to, a t- to, to the team since a late August meeting when he communicated this message to Sixers officials. Simmons is clearly aware of sanctions available to organizations to fine and suspend him, including withholding of salary, but so far Simmons appears willing to carry out a plan of forcing his way to a new team. Sixers have yet to find a trade they're willing to make for him. Now, throughout the summer, I mean, I think I have to preface this with just clearing the air. I like I, I don't know if there's any more that I can contribute to the Ben Simmons conversation because I've talked about him ad nauseum for like six weeks almost, and my it's always been it's really always been the same. He doesn't want to play for the team. The Sixers don't want him there. Well, they only want they don't want him there because he doesn't want to be there. So they want to try to get their maximal maximum return for him. There were conversations all throughout the summer, and the package that the Sixers got was either not up to their standard or they wanted to wait and see what happened with the situation. Apparently, for the last month, Ben Simmons has been hard in his belief, like, hey, fuck this franchise. Fuck y'all. I don't want to play here anymore get me out and I mean if he's willing to sit out the whole season withholding salary like I don't really think that's gonna deter him I think that I mean with it's been this way for a while but beyond the fraction of a doubt the relationship between Philadelphia and Ben Simmons is simply not reparable at this point it's it's not there's nothing they can do to convince him he hasn't talked to anyone on the team in a month I mean I remember Kyrie did this during the postseason run and it was a mess, or his postseason run with the, what was, I think it was either the Cavaliers right before he got traded. And that was right before he got traded. So there is relationship back there was fractured. Simmons' relationship is fractured 
as well. And again, I've I've held I've held firm in the belief that both sides are wrong in this instance. Ben Simmons really he just he sucked in the postseason. And I don't know if that was like the um the straw that broke the camel's back, kind of, but he did not help the Sixers in that regard. And then of course the comments with Doc Rivers, but the Sixers like I don't know what Things were like closed doors with the uh, development issues. But Ben Simmons has been the same player since he came into the NBA. And that has to be an indictment on potentially him, but also, you know, the Sixers, maybe. What was it like with them trying to develop his game? Were they bringing him like into the weight room or onto the court to run skills? And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to perfect, you know, what I'm what already makes me a good player. We really don't know. We really don't know. And maybe things just got worse and worse as time wore on. Obviously, I think some of that is him being the second fiddle to Joel Embiid. Like, I don't know if the Sixers, I don't know if the city of Philadelphia ever really saw them as a dynamic duo in the way that people saw LeBron and Kyrie or LeBron and D-Wade or Shaq and Kobe or KD and Steph. Not to compare Ben Simmons to any of those guys, but there was always a clear separator, a clear, um, a clear partition between Joel and Ben as to who was the guy and who wasn't. Joel was always the guy in Philadelphia, and Ben Simmons was always the second fiddle to him. At least, like the most comp- the most apt comparison, I think, to that is there was when Kevin Durant was in Golden State, right? Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, in terms of talent, are two of the five best players in the NBA. I feel, or maybe, you know, six, seven, they're up there. They're MVP caliber players, two of the most lethal scorers in the league, very well-rounded offensive players. The point being is that both of those guys have the potential to lead a franchise. Steph did it. He led his franchise to a couple titles before Kevin Durant showed up. Kevin Durant, back in the day with the Thunder, with Russell Westbrook, Granted, they never won a title, but they made it to the finals when they were incredibly young. They were among one of the most competitive teams in the Western Conference. They both had that skill. And then they combined, and it was clear that Kevin Durant was the best player on that team, but Steph Curry was still the face of the Warriors. However, they were interchangeable in those roles. Like, obviously, and very something began to happen where I think just... The relationship began to erode with Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors organization, kind of similar to what's happening with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But it is a little different because Kevin Durant went there with the intention of winning championships because he was getting older. He wanted to cement his legacy. And regardless of how people try to downplay him as an all-time great, he's one of the all-time greatest players. He's like He's on the door of top 10 territory. Like He's in the top 15 Top 20, you know, right around where like Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Jerry West, he's in like the third tier of all time greats. If he's able to win another finals MVP and win another finals, I think he's very clearly like in the top 10 or at least on the border of it, like 11, 12th all time or something like that. But generally, when you have younger players, you just you cater to them no matter how much better one is to the other because Ben Simmons regardless of how less talented he is compared to Joel Embiid, he plays a vital role for the Sixers. And 
I think ultimately losing that losing him is going to hurt, which I talked about last week when I was doing the NBA over-unders and how the Sixers were seven games better or projected to be seven wins better than the Clippers, despite the Clippers not having Kawhi and despite the Sixers not having Ben Simmons. Of course, this was before it was confirmed that he was going to sit out for the season. And I'm like, I just, I just don't see it. The Sixers, again, don't have anyone to replicate Ben Simmons' production. And now they're, even, they're going to get fleeced even harder in any potential trade. And it's only a matter of time until a trade happens because teams know that Ben Simmons is not going to play. This is the ultimate. This is an ultimate display in controlling the narrative. It gets leaked that Ben Simmons isn't going to want to play for the team. And it's later clarified that Ben Simmons knows what's going to happen if he doesn't play for the team. That seems to me like someone in Simmons camp reached out to Woj and is like, we're done. We're done here. Let the rest of the teams in the league know. So that way, the Sixers get doubly fucked over. Because, worst or best case scenario, they don't have Ben Simmons. Worst case scenario is they wind up trading Ben Simmons for a package that doesn't even come close to what was offered to them over the summer. Like, now, looking back on it, this, the Warriors potentially offering James Weissman or Andrew Wiggins, or potentially both in addition to the 7th and the 14th picks, Looks pretty fucking good right now, especially knowing that the Sixers might barely get one pick just because teams are aware of how drastically things have deteriorated and how they are basically at the point of no return. It's either you lose out on Ben Simmons entirely or you make up a minimal return. But uh, yeah, it's going to be I'm very excited to see how this story plays out over the next couple of months. I love, I fucking love coffee, dude. I'm such a caffeine addict. I'm the worst. Okay. Ooh, this is interesting. When did this come out? Oh, so this is brand, this is brand spanking new news. So anyone who lives in New York City or New York State traveling into New York City knows that New York State or New York City has a vaccine passport requirement for indoor dining, um, I think like Broadway, any indoor event, you need to show proof of vaccination. Up until now, the uh, Department of Health in New York City hasn't been enforcing it, but now they're going to up their efforts. So like restaurants are now going to be, they're going to have Department of Health officials coming in, making sure that they are checking the vaccine passports. The same thing is happening in, I believe, San Francisco. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, it was happening in Los Angeles as well. Now, Part of this is, and I talked about this uh, last week also, part of this is there might be some players who don't meet the mandate because of their unvaccination status or their unvaccinated status. Now, there were um, rumors that Kyrie doesn't seem like the type of guy to get the vaccination. I don't really know what that means. But then um, there was, of course, some anecdotal evidence of Kyrie at, I believe it was an LA Sparks game, sitting courtside. And someone mentioned that courtside seats at the Staples Center are reserved for vaccinated individuals only. So who knows? He was masked up in the arena as well. So either he doesn't have the vaccine and he's wearing the mask or he's got the vaccine and he's wearing the mask. He's doubling up on that uh, on his protection. But this this is courtesy of the press conference, the um, Brooklyn Nets press conference where Sean Marks was just talking about. Everything. This is courtesy of, I'm getting this from the score.com written by Michael Chandler. 
Brooklyn Nets general manager Sean Marks doesn't think New York City's vaccine mandate will be an obstacle despite conceding that, quote, a couple of players wouldn't be eligible to practice with the team under the current rules. We don't see these, whether it's a citywide mandate or whether it's a league mandate to follow being any sort of hindrance for us putting out a team, Marks said when asked during Tuesday's press conference about whether vaccine regulations would affect the Nets. New York City requires people 12 and older to display to display proof that they have received at least one dose of an FDA-recognized COVID vaccine in order to access indoor dining, indoor exercise, and indoor entertainment. Note, this is FDA-recognized and not FDA-authorized, which means that pretty much any of the three major vaccines here in the United States, Pfizer, Moderna, and um, Johnson & Johnson, are eligible because they all got emergency use authorization as opposed to full authorization, which the FDA just recently did for Pfizer and will most likely be doing with Moderna and Johnson & Johnson at some point in the near future. Nets players who cannot show proof they've received a first dose won't be able to participate in team activity activities. Nets players who cannot show proof they've received a first dose won't be able to participate in team activities in the city when training camp officially opens on September 28th. Mark said a couple people will be missing from the picture based on their current vaccination status, though he did not identify them. Uh, I don't think that's a HIPAA violation. I just think that it, that that is a, a confidential matter that Sean Marks does not want to put out there. Uh, he, def- he doesn't want the media knowing who's vaccinated, who is unvaccinated. The GM added that he anticipates the entire roster will we- will meet the vaccination requirements by the time the Nets kick off the 2021-22 season against the Milwaukee Bucks on October 19th. The NBA does not require players to be vaccinated. Those specific markets, including NYC and San Fran, adopted mandates that prevent unvaccinated people from entering sports venues. Marks also spoke Tuesday about LaMarcus Aldridge, um, just, you know, about everything that happened over the last year. I talked to Lamar. I, ta- I tried to talk. What? Oh, <laughs> I tried to talk LaMarcus out of it. I said, you don't need this. Why would you come back? I think it was important to see his conviction, and it's not a question. It's not a conviction made without due diligence. Mark said he added that a cardiologist cleared Aldridge to play. That took a turn. Yeah, I, I don't think. I would be very curious to see, one, what he, who, or how many Sean Marks actually how many players Sean Marks is actually talking about? Because a couple isn't always just two. Could be three. Could be four. I don't think that any of the major players are unvaccinated. Of course, I, I, must, I must concede that this is purely speculative. Purely speculative. Um, I just think that they wouldn't, you know, do that to their team. They wouldn't put their team at such um, a risk at the court. At, all because of a fucking vaccine shot. Like, it might be a couple of the younger guys. I don't know if this also includes people that have potential medical exceptions. Like, I don't know what LaMarcus Aldridge is, um, what his status is like with his heart issues. Of course, I'm sure he's talked to his doctor about it, and I'm not here to discuss any player's medical history because I'm not qualified to do that. And of course, um, yeah, we'll see what happens when the team picture when the team picture comes out, we'll see who's missing. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that it won't get any news coverage at all. I'm sure the Nets team picture will come out, and there will be a couple of guys missing, and no one will say anything about it, just because what's the fucking point? What's the fucking point? Unless someone's like, 
if you make me get the vaccine, I'm going to fucking retire. Of course, which no one is going to fucking do. Come on. Let's be honest now. Um, another thing that went down today, JJ Redick, a longtime NBA professional, one of the most hated players in the history of college basketball as well. I always have to throw that in there when talking about the former Duke standout announced his retirement today. He posted a video to his Twitter, um, you know, just detailing his thought process before retiring, going out, thanking everyone that helped him through his journey to up, you know, through high school, through college and through the NBA. And I just want to congratulate JJ on a fantastic career. Really one of the most standout players, uh, standout role players, I should say, over the, over the last couple of decades. Like leaving Duke, where he was, I'm pretty sure was a national player of the year. Guy was averaging like 25 points a night as a senior to come to the NBA and not be able to do that because he was smaller than everybody. He was definitely not as athletic as everybody, did not have the physical traits that some of the other guys at his position had. I'm talking, of course, you know, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Allen Iverson, knowing that he would never be able to compete with those guys like in a one-on-one situation and to just develop into one of the most lethal and versatile three-point shooters the NBA has ever seen is quite the development. I mean, this guy averaged as many as like, you know, 18, 19, 20 points throughout the prime of his career consistently among one of the most efficient, one of the most voluminous three-point shooters out there. Uh, if he had come along just a few years later, I was also having this conversation with somebody about Damari Carroll, another, uh, you know, three-point shooter, of course, a lot more effective on the defensive end than compared to J.J. Redick. But had J.J. come around a couple of years later and didn't start his career until maybe like 2009, 2010, he'd be one of the highest paid role players in the league just because of the skill that he provides. Championship teams need guys like J.J. Redick. They need guys like Joe Harris. They need guys who can space the floor for their superstars and just keep the offense from getting as murky as possible. So congratulations to J.J. Redick on the conclusion of a fantastic NBA career, and I'm very excited to see how he transitions into his um, his post-playing career because he already has his own podcast. Uh, it's like, I don't even, it's like two men and a three or something like that. I, I don't listen to it, admittedly. I don't really consume a lot of uh, sports or basketball podcasts considering I produce one, but um, it is, of course, always here. It, it, it is, of course, always fun to hear players have their own takes on the game, especially after retiring and independently more so than anything else because they aren't bound to really any agenda. You know, if you're working at a TV station, there are certain things you can say certain things you can't say, certain things you have to talk about, certain things you're not allowed to talk about at all. When you're an independent uh, media personality, you're not beholden to any of that. Like, it it doesn't really matter. You, in theory, unless you're saying some, you know, truly hateful, like, derogatory shit, you know, stuff that you wouldn't say in a regular conversation anyway, um, it does allow you to bring a little bit of a different, um, a little bit of a different flavor to how you conduct things, which is, um, which I think is much needed for the NBA landscape and just for the sports landscape as a whole, because um, just seeing how, you know, keeping up with like the revolution in political media, the rise of people who are un- untethered to uh, certain media conglomerates. I think, you know, that's going to happen soon in sports where people are just going to start branching out on their own, whether it's, you know, independently creating a podcast because like, the technology is so readily available and in some cases free like the um 
the host for this show, for my show, is Anchor. You know, you heard the ad read about them in the beginning, but they're a free podcast uh, hosting software. They go ahead, they make podcasting super easy. Like I record this on a third party program in my room. You just take the audio, upload it to Anchor, and then you get uh, you get it fitted or you have to just confirm like the RSS feeds with Apple, Spotify, Google, but it's all very seamless. And again, it's free. Like you can just talk into a microphone. You don't need a $500 microphone like I have right here. Like I started out on like nine, like $80 USB mics. It ultimately just comes down to like the content of, it just comes down to the content and it comes down to your personality as well. And I know there are a lot of former players who have quite <laughs> big personalities and I would love to see them transition into independent media roles. But anyway, I am ranting again. So we're going to try to find another new story. Um, God damn. Every time I open like any news source, whether it's Google News, um, whether it's Apple News, like even Twitter, like everybody is talking about the Gabby Petito murder. I don't even know if it's actually like legally considered a murder yet. Um, if you don't know, how the fuck do you not? It has literally been the most talked about news story in America for the last three or four days. Gabby Petito and her fiance went on this um, road trip across the country in their van. Long story short, Brian returns to his home in Florida with Gabby's van and Gabby is nowhere to be found. Um, unfortunately, it was recently discovered. This was uh, a couple of days ago, I think Saturday night or Sunday night, I think. Um, authorities discovered a body that on the surface matched uh, Gabby's profile, but they were going to conduct further tests and just to uh, actually forensically confirm that this young lady had disappeared. And it's just like I've typed Google News into the browser and it's FBI police resume search for Brian Laundry in Florida wildlife refuge. Like everybody is talking about it. Like this is above the this is above like every everything relating to U.S. politics at this point. Biden talking at the U.N., the infrastructure bill, Joe Manchin being a fucking dickhead, uh, talking about the debt as well. Like, it really is crazy how this news story just, like, just captivated the nation. Um, it's, it, it's, very, it's very heartbreaking, very devastating. Um, it's just, it, it's fucking crazy. And I don't want to talk about it too much because, like, there really is... Uh, Nothing to talk about at this point, unfortunately. Like, this case has progressed. I don't know if it's progressed at a slow rate, or maybe it's, like, my view of how true crime or how criminal investigations unfold is skewed because of watching everything on Netflix, like the Ted Bundy shit, um, the Son of Sam, like, all that shit. Uh, this new show that I'm watching with my girlfriend called The Keeper, which is about the murder of a nun in Baltimore, um... Uh, potentially by this fucking really scummy priest uh who looked like fucking peter griffin um that's also like really fucking frightening but like i don't know if the authorities just aren't moving that quickly i do also know that you know i could understand how the body is dumped in the fucking desert literally in the middle of nowhere and it took a while for authorities to discover it but like what the fuck you guys can you guys can hear that. I think my dad is watering the fig tree. Oh, that's what that is. Holy shit. So recently we got um a sprinkler system installed. I'm not even in frame 
<laughs> we got a sprinkler system installed. This is like a couple of days ago. And we haven't really been using it that much. Uh, we've never had like a built-in sprinkler system before. And I just hear like, and I was waiting to see if I could see him like put the sprinkler out. And then I looked down and I just see this fucking black pole sticking out of the ground. I'm like, oh my God, I feel so fucking dumb. Anyway, let's get back to the show before I get fucking sidetracked again. Oh, this is going to be good. I saw this the other day. The NBA player rankings are starting to come out. I'm so fucking ready. I'm so ready to talk about them in a week or two when we finally get to like the top 10. Oh, dude, it's going to be fucking oh, incredible. So um, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with this story either, but Cedric Ceballos um, recently caught COVID-19, was in the ICU for quite a while. He has, I believe, he's finally returned home. Yeah, former NBA star Cedric Ceballos says he's home after being hospitalized with COVID-19. Ceballos, who's 52, described his hospitalization as, quote, 20 straight days on death row. He thanked the doctors and nurses who took care of him in his, quote, unquote, darkest days. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, there was that one vid- that one photo that went around um, of him wearing an oxygen mask. And, like, generally, if you're older and you get put on oxygen, it's, it's a wrap for you, like, straight up. There's no way, or I don't want to say there's no way, but it's very unlikely that your body recovers from that because, you know, at that age with everything already shutting down, it's just, it's so much harder for the body to do things without assistance. Like, holy shit. Thank you. I mean, thank you. What the fuck? Thank God that, you know, Cedric Ceballos is okay. I'm sure that, you know, his road to recovery is going to be fucking, is going to be fucking insane because I have a friend who uh, got COVID and he was, he's still like (laughs) a little bit, fucked up from a cell and this is you know a healthy guy works out fucking super thick you know looks like he literally just eats testosterone bottles um but i mean it kicked his ass too and he's like my age is like 25 or 26 or something but it's dude it's fucking crazy it's actually uh fucking crazy let's do this nba trade ideas to create the next super team it's gonna say some shit about trading kyrie irving to minnesota or probably the warriors land cat what the fuck this came out of nowhere okay so golden state would receive cat and a 2025 second round pick the t-wolves would receive james wiseman jonathan kaminga moses moody lou dort and a 2026 first the thunder would receive andrew wiggins and two more and two more first round picks for 2022 what i don't understand i this trade we're off to a rock and start here this trade makes literally no sense to me at least for the Timberwolves and the Thunder. What are the Thunder doing trying to accrue more assets when they're already going to be the worst team in the league next season? Why? Why? And you're replacing Lou Dort with Andrew Wiggins, which is a good, um, it's a decent player, player, player for player transaction. But in the context of this trade, how the fuck did Sam Presti even like come to the conversation to trade Lou Dort to Minnesota? Which, by the way, this trade absolutely fucking sucks for Minnesota. Like, if they're not rebuilding properly with Cat playing center alongside D'Angelo Russell and alongside Anthony Edwards, they're not going to do anything with James Wiseman. Like, this trade for the Warriors, um, it would also 
really fuck up their depth quite intensely, very similarly to what happened with Kevin Durant. Like, you're really just betting on Steph, Clay, Trey, and Kat. And then you're picking up the pieces for whoever else. I'm sure Jordan Poole uh, would get quite a bit of playing time. I'm sure that they would very quickly sign someone like Isaiah Thomas or Avery Bradley, who they have reportedly been looking at leading up to training camp. But I feel like this would be a disastrous trade for everyone, not including the Warriors. I do think it makes the Warriors um, a little better, or maybe a lot better. But like, still, I think their depth is an issue regardless. Like, A lot of their wins coming this season will be largely responsible due to uh, Steph, Clay, and Draymond. But uh, this, is, this, is, this is quite the trade. What's the second one? Okay, so this one's about the Hawks. This is awesome. So the Hawks receive OG Ananobi and Dylan Brooks. The Raptors receive DeAndre Hunter, Onyeko Okongwu, Okongwu, Brandon Clark, and a 2023 first. And the Grizzlies receive Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, Chris Boucher, and a 2025 first. Uh, top 10 protected. Did they say they traded uh, John Collins? This, um, I don't... Yeah. So this makes significantly more sense to me than the previous trade we just talked about because it's practical and i'm not also sure that this creates a super team like the the one with cat going to golden state is very clearly a super team but what super team exists with trey young john collins bogdan bogdanovich and dylan brooks like this is just a well-balanced trade all the way around um this is yeah this is too logical to belong this is too logical to belong in here. Like the Hawks in this case instantly get way better defensively. OG Ananobi, Dylan Brooks, two two fantastic young defenders. Granted, Dylan Brooks can uh get into a little bit of foul trouble, but he plays hard. Like he plays very hard. I respect Dylan Brooks so much. I think he's a fantastic young basketball player. Uh same thing with OG. OG's another guy where he plays hard very very hard on defense but he's got the physical traits that dylan brooks doesn't have and he has the athleticism advantage over dylan brooks and i think that that plays a lot that plays a huge role in a young player's defensive success in the modern nba but um yeah I, this would be in- very interesting to see i just want to uh read the intro the hawks can't keep all their young wings especially as they begin to line up for more expensive second contracts so they're packing them in this deal to land, in my opinion, a transformative potential superstar in OG Ananobi. Am I missing something on OG? A transformative potential superstar? Am I underrating OG Ananobi? I mean, I didn't think I was. Like, he's a good player. I mean, 16 points, five and a half rebounds last season, shot 40% from three. But a transformative potential superstar? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't know if I agree with that take at all. Okay, now, now I see why this made it in here. But then again, that's just my opinion. Uh, I still think that even if OG isn't a, a potential superstar, this, this might be a trade that, you know, the Hawks really consider, especially since they don't have to part with John Collins. I think Trey and John Collins are, I don't want to say they're inseparable, but we all know what Trey Young is, a fucking superstar 
at this point. If not a superstar, a superstar in the making, uh, he'll be there in like a year or two. But John Collins is one of the most um, productive bigs at his contract. Like he's on a max contract, but it's not one that is super bloated. And it also, it is justified in his production because he's a walking 20 and 10 guy. Say what you will about him defensively. He's absolutely dog shit on that end. I will concede that. But 20 points, 10 boards, you know, a reliable three-point shooter at times. Um, really just another target for Trey Young around the basket because of his bonkers athleticism. Let's go ahead and keep scrolling. The Mavericks. Oh, yes. This is, I love this. Dallas receives Clay Thompson, Terrence Ross, and Chuma Okiki. Golden State receives Tim Hardaway Jr., Gary Harris, Dwight Powell, and Jalen Brunson. Orlando receives Kavon Looney, Boban, Josh Green, and what is this? One first-round pick for a deal like this to ever get past an initial phone call. Two unrealistic conditions must be met. First, the Warriors and Mavericks would need to have vastly different opinions of Klay Thompson's ability to play up to his contract after two full seasons rehabbing serious injuries. Second, the Dubs would have to reach a point of financial stress that they'd even consider moving a universally beloved mainstay in the interest of tax relief. Yeah, there is actually no fucking chance that this trade happens. Um, I don't even feel the need to potentially analyze it because... I don't even feel the need to uh, analyze it because it's so... It's just, it's so ridiculous. I mean, if Clay comes back and he's, you know, 75% of the player he once was, there's no chance that the Warriors trade him. None. And even if he's worse than that, they're still going to keep him on the roster because at the very least, what's Clay Thompson going to do? He's going to make like 50% of his threes, whether they're catch and shoot, whether they're off the dribble, whatever. And I think even before Dallas ever considers making this move, I think they would rather just blow it up because you're gutting Tim Hardaway Jr., who's a huge piece of your offense, um, Dwight, Powell, Dwight Powell, who is your best, I don't know if he's your best overall defender, but he's definitely your best front court defender. And especially with Chris Stapps not living up to his potential, you need that, especially if you're trying to make a deep playoff run with this roster. And then Jalen Brunson is probably the best backup point guard in the league. If not, he's in the conversation without a doubt. But yeah, as uh, who wrote this? Andy Bailey, probably. Or Grant Hughes. Sorry, Andy. Grant Hughes. Um, yeah. This is this is totally this is totally unrealistic. Uh won't ever happen. If it does, I will eat my computer. How about that? <coughs> I will chop up my brand new laptop and um put it in a bowl of cereal, cover it in milk, and eat it. Now the last trade. What do we have? We have the Blazers. Okay, this is a four-teamer, which means that this is already probably not going to happen because no one has the time to facilitate a four-team deal. Okay, so bear with me here. The Portland Trail Blazers. What, dude, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to fucking process all this. Portland receives Jalen Brown, Miles Turner, Garrett Temple, and Torrey Craig. They lose C.J. McCollum. Rocco, Robert Covington, and Freddie Simons, and a first-round pick in 2024. Um, 
What? Indiana receives Brandon Ingram, Robert Covington, Peyton Pritchard, and a future second. They lose Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, Torrey Craig, and a 2022 first-round pick. So they're losing their, their core, more or less. Outside of Sabonis, I mean, they are getting Brandon Ingram, so I guess that kind of makes up for it, but... um, What? Boston receives CJ McCollum. They lose Jalen Brown. Okay. I think that just take New Orleans out of the conversation. Um, they continue to get fleeced. I think that them trading Brandon Ingram is pretty much them signaling that, hey, we're done here. Um, Zion is going to be next because he's not going to want to stay with this fucking dog shit team. Um, I think this is definitely more centric, more Blazers centric. I do want to read this blurb because this is, this is intense. It says, this is a massive four-teamer that required the more detailed breakdown above. Your mileage may vary as to the reasonableness of each party's involvement, but all four teams address roster balance and fit issues in ways that at least approximate what they might consider doing in reality. The Blazers are their purported super team, so we'll start with their side of things in a deal that finally breaks up CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard in the interest of adding a top-notch wing and the kind of reliable frontcourt spacing the franchise has long been missing. Jalen Brown and Miles Turner transform Portland with the former All-Star just entering his prime and the latter a four-stretching rim-protecting force. The Blazers could feel the five-man unit of Lillard, Brown, Turner, Norman Powell, and Larry Nance with Yusuf Nurkic, Garrett Temple, Torrey Craig, and Tony Snell rounding things out. This roster is actually very nice. This is a this is a good trade for Portland. This is a very good trade, actually. And this is um very good for Grant to think about this because my fucking pea brain would never like I see anything beyond three teams, I shut off. I'm like a fucking toddler. I really am. Just it's so much brain activity that if you don't have a whole team of people working on it, it's basically useless. But Lillard, Jalen Brown, Miles Turner. Norm and Nance, starting five. Maybe not starting five, but if a five-man unit, because I think Nurk would be the starting center. You have Garrett Temple off the bench, Torrey Craig, Tony Snell. This is a very, very good roster. Very good roster. Obviously, you would have to rework the game plan a little bit just to account for CJ's lack of um, his his uh the loss that you get with his shot creation. Uh, they need a backup point guard now, and they might have to surrender another first to make up the value difference between Brown and McCollum, but it'd be hard to view them as anything short of contenders in this rebuilt form. Um, I don't know if I'm going contenders, because like, you're looking at the Lakers, you're looking at the Jazz, um, the Nuggets, fully healthy, of course. So I, they would definitely make a run. I see them, like on paper, probably the fourth or fifth seed, only because... This is basically a revamped team that you would only have a limited training camp for, and then they would take however many weeks to get into their final form. You would think in that case that they could just coast on talent up until the All-Star break, and then from there, they would really just turn into this cosmic explosion, this supernova of talent that, you know, takes them to the top of the standings. But I don't know how feasible that is because it's a lot of contrasting play styles and it's a lot of talent to keep happy. Because of course, Damian Lillard is going to be the number one. Jalen Brown 
could be the number two, but maybe Nurk feels he can be the number two. And then you also have to make sure that Miles Turner doesn't feel left out of the offense, although it's going to be kind of weird because he's an inside-outside big, but is kind of not so good. He's like not transcendent at either. And then, of course, uh, I'm not too worried about Torrey Craig and Tony Snell, but Norm has really come along in the past couple of years. Guys transformed into a 20-point-per-night guy, good three-point shooter, very balanced offensive attack. You'll have to keep him happy as well. I think it would be a lot. It would be a lot of um, a lot of work for a rookie coach. Would you, would you fucking believe that for Chauncey Billups and his staff? Um, I do think it would definitely satisfy Lillard's, um, I don't want to say disdain for the team, but definitely his, um, his lackluster, how would, you, how would I say this? His, um, his waning appreciativeness of the organization, if that makes any sense. Um, I, as far as the rest of the teams in this deal are concerned, I really don't give a fuck about them because I think who the Celtics get again, CJ McCollum, um, dude, they're losing Jalen Brown. That's a huge loss, especially on defense because CJ is statistically among the worst defenders in the NBA. And, you know, he gives you similar statistical production compared to Jalen Brown. Of course, the way they get those points are significantly different, but I think this is, this would be a fatal dealing for Boston. The Pacers, I think they improve a little bit. Um, I still think that they're among like the lower middle class of teams in the Eastern Conference. Definitely nowhere near the top tier. And then, you know, teams like Philly, Boston, Miami, uh, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, they're below that tier as well. They're not bottom dwellers by any means. I don't see them contending for a high lottery pick this year, but, you know, they're going to be fighting with a team like Charlotte, for example, to get into the play to the, uh, to the play-in tournament. Um, yeah, and New Orleans, they can just get fucked. That's basically what I'm ascertaining from this. There's always one team that gets significantly bent over in massive deals like this. When you think about the Rockets trading James Harden, for example, it was them. They were the ones. They were the ones getting uh, bent over. I mean, Falcon Brogdon and Anthony Simons are good players, and of course they get a bunch of picks, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to look like in the long term for the Pelicans. Um, is there anything else? No, really fucking boring right now. Nets rookie Dayron Shop goes apartment shopping. Awesome. Um, Lakers analysis is Wayne Ellington really an elite shooter? Okay, that's interesting. Carmelo Anthony calls LeBron James the Lakers GM. This is mint. When LeBron called Carmelo about joining the Lakers, he wasn't expecting it. It was a real call. Anthony said it, no bullshit. And it centered around a topic they talked about turning into reality for years. And in recalling that conversation, Anthony revealed what everyone already knew about who's running the Lakers. Yo, I need you. Say less. You ain't got to say nothing. Anthony said to him during an appearance on Sunday's Million Dollars Worth of Game podcast, I already know what time it is when you you hit me. Direct. The GM didn't hit me. You're the, you're the GM. <laughs> Lay GM is an actual thing. Um, yeah, this is kind of like 
again, very much like a non a non news story. Um, because here's the thing, dude. It's 2021. We're on Al Gore's internet. We are on God's green earth. If you don't think that these superstars in the NBA are calling the shots for their teams, you're just ignorant or miseducated. This isn't the 90s anymore. It's not a team-centric league. The players run this league. The players go to the front office and tell them, hey, we want these guys. We want you to trade for this type of player. They may not be conducting the intricacies of the deals because that is a lot of brain power. And not only that, it requires a lot of focus. And the players are focused on, guess what, winning games and performing. They don't have the time to sit in meetings with the GM and look at a spreadsheet of players and all the cap information and see who and see what works best. And what are we going to do about, a, you know, the fucking kicker clause or and no they're going to express their desires and it's on to the gm and his staff because that is their job to make the team better to get what the star player wants this is nothing new there's nothing new it's been going on for a while now for at least a decade so this is uh i mean no shit it's just funny to hear another player say that lebron is the gm even though even though everybody knows that lebron's the gm Yeah. Um Yeah, dude. I think that this actually I think that this might be it for today. Talked about everything I wanted to talk to talk about. The new cycle is really starting to dry up, but it will begin to reheat within the next couple of uh of weeks and I'm very excited about that. As always, thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me today. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Everything I'm associated with is down in the description box below. Be sure to follow me on my social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go ahead, leave a rating and a review. It helps me out tremendously. And as always, thank you, and I'll see you in the next one.